if you had a psychology class in college or maybe human growth and development or something like that, you might recognize uh, the experiment that in these pictures. Anybody recognize that? Um, this was from some experiments done by uh, a psychologist named Harry Harlow. He wanted to study the effects that mothers had on some little monkeys. This, this, this little guy is called a rhesus monkey. They're called rhesus monkeys because they're half chocolate and half peanut butter, I think. But I'm not sure on that part. But here's what he did. These monkeys were, were taken from their, from their mamas when they were very little. And then they were, they were put in little environments. This is not their whole cage, but where they had a surrogate mannequin mom. And some of them were made just of wire. And then some of them were made more like this is terry cloth. And they're made warm and, and fuzzy. And then if you see this circle right here, and then there's one here you can't see as well, but they could put a bottle in, in, in mom there. And in one of the experiments, what Harlow assumed was whatever mannequin he put the bottle in, that would be, so if the, if the little monkey had a choice between warm and fuzzy mom or wire mom, whichever one he put the bottle in, that's where the attachment would come. The baby would attach to the food source. And that makes sense, right? That uh, survival instinct would kick in. That would be what was most important. But that's not at all what happened. The young mon monkeys always bonded when this is the only two choices they had. They always bonded to the warm, fuzzy mom. Even with a terrifying face like that. I mean, look at that thing. I have nightmares over that thing. Even when monkeys had both moms and this one had the bottle, the monkey would just sneak over when it got hungry enough and eat from the Iron Maiden over here and then would run right back to warm and fuzzy mom. Even monkeys require warm, physical contact. He did other experiments that illustrated the same thing. There were monkeys raised in exactly the same conditions, except one only had access to the wire one, others only had access to terry cloth mom, and then after a period of time, they were released, both sets, back into uh, monkey society, and it's depressing and scary. The, it's pretty sad. The ones that were raised only by wire moms just did not get back into society well at all. They were filled with, with anxiety. They didn't adapt. A, a huge number of them just died shortly thereafter. They could not adapt. They're very antisocial. But none, none of the monkeys did as well as the ones that were raised by their actual mom, by a real monkey mom. Because it turns out, just because something makes you feel warm doesn't mean it's actually love. 
It's not just rhesus monkeys that need uh, a nurturing environment to grow up in, right? Turns out human beings, little people, need warm physical contact. We need to be listened to. We need to eye contact when we're babies. And when we don't get that, we kind of get jacked up too. Now the dirty little secret is that we never stop needing those things. We were made to be loved and we were made to love other people. It's just that because we were raised by damaged people who were raised by damaged people and we are damaged people and we marry damaged people and we live in a damaged world, we've learned how to compensate for not getting like our love needs met. But we're not supposed to be that way. We were made by loving God to love other people and to be loved. Now we're creeping our way through Romans chapter 12 and we've come to a part where Paul for the next two weeks is going to tell us to love one another. He's been telling us for 11 chapters about the faith system of Christianity. And in chapter 12, he started telling us what our lives will look like if we're Christians. What does the practical Christian life look like? And the most practical thing we can do as Christians, Paul told us first, is just to give our lives, body and all, back to God. Here's my life, God. It's yours. I want my life to be a sacrifice given to you, holy, pleasing to you, a living sacrifice. That's the most logical thing we can do. How do we do that? Well, we have to start by first being willing to be way different than the rest of the world. We have to be willing for God to completely transform all of us. And that starts with the way we think. We have to, to think differently. If I want my life to be a sacrifice lived back to God. And that starts, Paul told us, with the way I think about myself. I shouldn't think more highly of myself than I ought, but there is a way I ought to think about myself. We talked about that. Then, after telling us to be humble, Paul told us last week about how to use, how to use our spiritual gifts humbly, not to, to get attention for me, but to serve others. And now he's ready to start telling us to, to love each other. But what does that mean? What's it look like? Because everything that makes us feel warm isn't actually love. It could be a terry cloth monkey. And Paul's going to tell us today that biblical love is actually a love that hates. I'll show you what I mean. Our passage today is just two words, Romans chapter 12. Verses 9 and 10, and they read like this. Love without hypocrisy. So love hates hypocrisy. 
Then abhor, hate what is evil while you cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's our passage. It's all we're going to study today. And really, before we can dive in, because we are being commanded to love, I think we first have to answer this question. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. Anybody? Uh, what does this mean? If I was going to ask you, get out a pencil and paper and write down your definition of love, how would you define that word? It's an abstract concept, which means necessarily it's hard to define. So what is it? If we're going to be commanded to do this, we better at least know what we're being commanded to do. Love can't be what we have sort of been conditioned to think that it is. It just can't. Love cannot be these feelings that rush over us at times. It can't. Because, as people have told me at my office before, I can't help the way I feel. Correct. But we're not commanded to feel a certain way. We're commanded to love. So whatever love is, it can't be something we can't control or God wouldn't command us to do it. We've been, we've been taught by princess movies, by the notebook, by lots of things, that love is this wave of emotion that comes over me. But biblical love is not based on what I get from another person, from being around them, from what they do. It can't be. If my love for Rachel is based solely on what I get out of her, that's not love. How she makes me feel, what she does, that's not me loving her. It's actually me exploiting her. When, when we're young, and we like to say we, we fall in love, we couldn't help it, it just happens. Right? That's not love. You don't fall into love. It doesn't, it, it's something you do, we're commanded to do. What we're really, what we would be better served in saying is, when I was young, and I became infatuated with another person, um, if we would really take, take care to define what made us infatuated with that person, uh, it might be the way they, that he or she looked. It might have something to do with the way they had their life together. It may have had to do with the, the amount of money they have, their talents, their popularity. That can be what makes me notice someone. I mean, it just is. But I haven't started loving them yet. I mean, if, if my relationship with this other person never moves off of what I get out of, the way it makes me feel, because the, 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 the big man on campus likes me, 
The, the prettiest girl in school thinks I'm cool and enough. That makes me feel good. Because, uh, you know, this person starts on the football team or the whatever. That makes me feel good. That's what I get out of this. If, 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 I, if my relationship never grows out of that, I am in trouble before we ever start. When we say, I love someone, and that's why those things makes me feel so good, it is really similar to another way we use the word love that's wrong. I mean, we use it all the time. I don't get bent out of shape by it. But I have often said, I love biscuits and gravy. Do you know why I love biscuits and gravy? Because they make me feel so good. And when that waitress comes out and puts that big pile of steaming sausage gravy, the feelings that come over me, I cannot control. And we laugh, but it's pretty similar. I say I love the Kansas City Chiefs and quarterback Patrick Mahomes, but it's pretty one-sided. He doesn't feel the same way about me. Right? I'm not going to do anything for that plate of biscuits and gravy that it's going to enjoy. It's all about me and what I get. When I have that relationship that is just about how I feel, what happens is someday those reasons might go away. If I'm dating, if a girl's dating a guy because he is the captain of the whatever team and he's the most popular kid in school and they go away to college and like nobody cares that you were like all SPVA, like all what? Right? Or your popularity doesn't travel. Or you're really not that great of an athlete now that we live in Omaha. And then suddenly, maybe I don't remember somebody else that would make me feel. Or if it's based on physical beauty. Before long, like Rachel's seen me without all my makeup on. Without my hairpiece. Right? <laughs> Or there's somebody else, or I just get used to the way somebody looks and it doesn't make me feel the way I used to feel. Real love is not about what I get from another person. Or we're like the young lady who broke up with her boyfriend and then she came to regret it. So she wrote him a letter, Dear Andy, since the day I ended our relationship. My life has not been the same. I have come to truly regret the decision I made. I think about you every day. I have discovered what a terrible mistake I made. Please, can we sit down, Andy, and talk about starting over forever? P.S. Congratulations on winning the Powerball. So what is, what is love? If it's not about what I get from you, what is love? Click me one time there, Jeff, if you would. There we go. I should be good after that. 
Not sure, this is my collected definition that I know my pastor used to say something close to this and, and there's been some additions. I'd love to give credit, but I don't remember where this came from. Not original with me, but I can't give credit either. Um, love, biblical love is the desire and the work put toward seeing God's best done in someone else's life. So I have not started loving that other person until my desire for them is God's best for them. And I have not started loving them until I'm ready to work toward seeing God's best done in someone else's life. That's love. So when someone says that they no longer love the person they married. I want to ask, I, I wonder, like, did this person ever actually start? Or has the infatuation wore off? And my suggestion is, well, start. I, I, I no longer love. This person will will start. Now, but pastor, I got to give you the list of all the terrible things they do. Do we need to call the police? We'll study. We'll talk about that in, a, in another couple of sermons. Is there something illegal going on here? Something immoral going on here that we need to deal with? If not. If I'm only hearing, I am not getting what I want. I still have not outlasted God's command for me to love my spouse, my brother, my sister. Love, biblical love is, is difficult. It's sacrificial. And it should be, because it's modeled after the love he, with which he loved us. In 1 John, John wrote this, By this the love of God was manifested or, or made clear in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not about what we did for God, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He worked for his best to be done in our lives at a very high cost. He loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then later in the same chapter, John tells us we love because he first loved us. That's where we see biblical love in action. Our love for others is modeled on the way God loved us. Sacrificial. A desire and work towards seeing God's best done in someone else's life. That's what love is. That's what we're commanded to do. And because that is what real love is, biblical love is a love that can hate. 
Now we're ready to get into our passage. The first thing Paul tells us in this passage is something love should hate, which is hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy or love in a genuine manner. I think we're supposed to understand this as a command. He's commanding us to love, but your love can't be hypocritical. Well, now we know what this word means. What's love? Love is desiring and working towards seeing what? God's best done in someone else's life. So we're supposed to love, but we have to do it genuinely or not hypocritically. If we don't know what that word means, we can't do this. What's it mean to be hypocritical or a hypocrite? The word, it's an old Greek word that comes from out of Greek dramas, plays. You ever see these masks? In, a, in an ancient Greek drama, the actor would hold up whichever, ma- ma- whichever mask corresponded to the way their character felt. Apparently, they weren't that great at writing dialogue or acting because they had to hold these things up to let the audience know, I'm happy now or I'm sad now. Now, was the actor actually changing emotions based on what, which mask he held up? No. He was just wearing a mask. He was actually being a hypocrite. Because hypocrisy is when I pretend on the outside something different than what's going on on the inside. And love, real biblical love, hates hypocrisy. It's honest. It doesn't wear that mask. It doesn't pretend everything is okay when everything's not okay. It doesn't pretend everything you're doing is wrong when everything you are doing is not wrong. It's just, it's honest. It's not hypocritical. Now, is the main goal in this verse, don't be a hypocrite? Is that the main goal? No, what's the main command? What are we supposed to be doing? Love. Love must be honest. Here's why I point this out. Because usually when I am not going to be a hypocrite, I don't know, usually might be a little strong, but lots of times, I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to be honest. What's coming next for me if I start a conversation like that with you? Is it going to be love? No. It's going to be a cement truck full of the hate and the venom and the anger and the bitterness that I've got in my heart. And I do all that under the cloak of this. God says I'm supposed to be honest, so buckle up. No, God didn't say that. God said love. And love, you might have heard this sometime, love is patient, love is So somehow, i got to figure out how to be honest, not hypocritical, but still be without losing my patience or my kindness. And so the cure for hypocrisy is not being mean. The cure for hypocrisy is figuring out how to deal with this stuff that's in my heart so that my heart can share honestly with you in a way where you know I'm loving you, which is trying to see God's best done in your life. 
Love must be without hypocrisy, but it must continue to be love. Now, more to say, but we'll get to it later, I think. So that's the first thing love hates. Love hates hypocrisy. Here's why. The next thing love hates is what is evil. The second thing Paul says in verse 9, um, I like this picture I ripped off of the internet, so I put it on here, but I like the translation better that I had up earlier because um, I think what Paul says is this, abhor what is evil. It's a stronger word than just hate. Abhor is hatred on steroids. We're, we're supposed to not be hypocritical because love hates hypocrisy, but love super hates what is evil. This word can just be translated what is bad, what's wrong. Abhor, to hate strongly, to have a vehement dislike for anything that's not good. Here's why I named this sermon um, A Love That Can Hate. One, because it's a catchy title, I thought. Two, this is just as much a part of love as any kind of warm feelings or as clinging to what is good, what we're going to talk about in a minute. I don't love you if I can see you doing what is evil and I don't care enough to, to, to call you on it. It's not love. I don't know what it is, but it's not love. Now, is there a time to be patient? Do I have to be kind? Yes. But at some point, if I love you, because real love is me wanting to see God's best in your life, I want you to be that living sacrifice to our God because I love you because you love me. You have to come to me. Say, I, I, Matt, I see something that's wrong here. That's actually love. Because love hates what is evil. My, my lack of hypocrisy that I want to have compels me to be honest with you about what's wrong and vice versa. However, pay special attention to what comes next. Cling to what is good. So, Paul said, we know what love is. It's my desire and my willingness to work towards seeing God's best done in someone else's life. And it's going to be honest. So I have this honest desire to see God's best in your life and I hate what is evil, and now it is you that there's something wrong, there's something sinful that I have to point out. Keep reading. Because next Paul says, cling to what is good. Now I think that means if I'm the one that's coming to point this out in you, I am the one that clings to what is good in me. I am pointing out evil in you. I do want to see you repent, confess, go back towards what is good. But Paul says, my love for you is supposed to be honest, is supposed to hate what is evil, but my love had better cling to what is good during this process. Why do you suppose Paul felt the need 
to put in the cling to what is good part right after the hate what is evil part. Because he knows our hearts. What happens in your heart when you see evil in in someone that you care about? What happens? How would you describe your own feelings? What do you start to feel? Boy, anger is probably one of the first things we thought about. We have anger. It's not a bad thing. Uh, We have anger because we're made in the image of God. And and God's angry a lot. Um, The problem with our anger, anger is sort of like a sin detector or sin barometer. (laughs) When we see sin in someone that we love, it makes us angry, and that's by design, by God's design. Um, But our sin detector and the thermostat in that thing is broken. Right? And when I see evil in someone that I care about, I I can't control my anger very good. It gets too hot. And then I tend to try to want to use my anger to change your behavior. And now I've gone someplace. I'm no longer doing what Paul says here. Cling to what is good. James told us, first chapter of his his book, the anger, the anger, the, I can't even read, and I'm so angry right now. Um, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man never produces the righteousness of God. We cannot use our anger to accomplish God's best in someone else's life. I can use my anger to try and control your behavior, but it won't be love. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Guess what the only thing is in the, in the universe that can overcome evil? Paul's going to tell us overcome evil with good. My anger convinces me to pick up bad weapons and try to use them in God's fight. And it doesn't work. The only thing it does is it makes me become what I am hate, which is evil. If I see sin, if I see evil, and that makes me angry, but in my anger, I start to control your behavior, I've become exactly what I was trying to root out from you. It might be a little different kind of evil, but it's still evil. And then you can look at my evil, and you have something to be mad back at me. And it's round and round and round and round. And and it's never love. It might have started with love. Because I saw something in you that is, is bad and I love you and I don't want you to have whatever that is. But once I try to, once I refuse to cling to what is good and I try to use evil to root out your evil, I'm not loving you. I'm not. Last passage uh, on the screen up here is read at like every wedding that has ever been wedded, right? Most of us has probably read at our, at our own weddings. I just want to read it with you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen? Do you want to know what it looks like? When I see something, I want to love you because I see evil. I see something wrong. I see sin. And I'm going to be honest about it because I hate this evil. But if I don't cling to what is good, you want to know what it starts to look like? The exact opposite of this right here. Do I lose my patience? Yeah. Do I lose kindness? Yeah. You know what it looks like when uh, in my anger I start to envy? You know what that looks like in an argument? It looks like, oh, how come she gets to do all that stuff she wants to do and I'm just left behind here and nobody likes me? And I become jealous of something I should be happy about. You know what it looks like when uh, I, my, I start to boast and I'm proud? That's when I give you the list of my accomplishments. Let me tell you what I've done lately. Let me tell you what I do around here. Let me tell you all the stuff that I don't do anymore. Boast, boast. Is it easy when I try to start to use my anger to manipulate behavior that I go quickly into dishonoring others? That's when I want to go find this friend and tell this friend how terrible my spouse is. And if they don't, when they get tired of listening, I'll find somebody else. And then I find I got this brother of mine um, that used to be, let me tell you, 10 things that he's done. Oh, isn't he the Love doesn't dishonor others. We can go through the whole list. Love is not self-seeking. Why? Because it's about getting God's best done in your life. It's not about what I get out of this. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't keep that list of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, even the evil I want to do to try to manipulate your behavior. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I can feel good for a while. Love always protects the other person. It always trusts. Does love gullible? Does love just believe anything no matter what? Is that what Paul means? No, because um, it, it, it rejoices in the truth. But here's what, here's what love does. It trusts that what God says really best, which means if God says I can't use my anger to manipulate your behavior, it trusts that that is true. Love trusts that if I'm commanded to love you and love you and love you regardless of your reciprocation or lack thereof, love trusts that that's best because God said so. Love always hopes that good will overcome evil in the end. It perseveres because good will overcome evil in the end. It never, ever fails, ultimately, even though it doesn't always give me the results I would like.
That is why we have to cling to what is good while we are loving sinful people. And this is so important to remember because of what Paul says at the end here. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Brotherly love. This is the word Philadelphia. Love one another with that brotherly love and outdo one another in showing honor. Love is always after the the honor, the regard, the respect of the other person. Special attention of the other person. That's, That's honor. Here's why this is so important. It is so easy to have a desire to point out evil, but it's less about your honor than it is about my honor. Because if I'm the one that notices everything that's wrong, it can make me feel better. And it always feels better to feel feel better. There's a way to point out evil that's way more about me than it is about you. Either I'm not getting what I want, or pointing this out can make me feel sort of superior. That's another reason why why evil hating love has to cling to what is good because it's devoted to the honor of the one I am am loving. It compels me. It compels me to confront, to be honest, to really hate sin but to do it in a way where both me and the person I am confronting knows this is done in love for your best. You may disagree with me, but you should know that I want to see God's best in your life. More than I want to get what I want, I want to get what God wants in your life so that we together, we can lead lives of honor. That's this passage. If you and I, if we are a, if I am a living sacrifice, if you are a living sacrifice, if you've given your body to God sacrificially, then I will be a man of love. And you will be a man or a woman of love. But what is that? Can you define that now? Love is the desire for and the work towards seeing God's best done in someone else's life. Now, if we're going to do that well, we have to be willing to be honest. We have to hate sin, but we have to cling to what is good while we try to help someone remove sin. The only way they can remove sin is their own confession and repentance. It starts in their hearts. You can control behavior, you can't control hearts. And we do this while being devoted in just brotherly affection. While I I just help to make the other person know that I'm after their honor, a life of honor, what is good for them before God. So that makes sense? So now you'll never mess this up ever again. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? We're going to sign a blood pact at the end of our service this morning. 
Now this is hard. This is hard, hard, hard. Because we're damaged people trying to love damaged people. And we're sinful people trying to love sinful people. But at least we can get our terms on the right footing, on equal footing, where we can both be after the same thing, a life of honor, living sacrifices to the God who loved us first. Pray with me. Father God, um, this is supposed to be like the, the, the simple section of the book of Romans. And in some ways it is like the words are mostly easy to understand, but this is so hard for us, God, because we're broken sinners. We're damaged people who were raised by damaged people uh, in, a, in a damaged world. And you know that, but God, you stepped into this world to show us what love looks like. Self-sacrifice to see God's best done in someone else's life. God, will you make us people of love? Real love. Love that's honest. Love that hates evil. But love that clings to what is good and is about the work of the honor of our brothers and sisters in Christ and our spouses and our kids and all of those things. God, not just so that our relationships would be better, but that you would be glorified in us. Your living sacrifices. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.